Hey everybody, it's Rubia Garcia, aka Miss G with the brand new Teacher Life Podcast. And we are going to jump straight into our episode today where we're going to recap everything that went on in the trial. Now we did have a total of six people who came to testify, but the way we're going to run through it today, I'm actually going to have a special guest. I will be joined by Miss Sierra Knight, one of my sisters out there in the trenches, uh, social justice, women's rights advocacy, like sis does it all. Love her out there in New York. So stay tuned. Catch you soon. All right, so let's go. First things first, I'm going to give you uh, the basic updates. So what we are doing is discussing um, the Derek Chauvin trial. Do not mistake it and call it by habit the George Floyd trial because... He's already on trial enough as it is, but today I'm going to have on uh, a special guest. Um, I had mentioned her in the in my in my intro, but she's a social justice advocate and a women's rights advocate, Miss Sierra Knight from 2420. But before I bring Miss Sierra on, uh, my sis in the trenches, I want to actually kind of tell y'all what happened so far. So he's on trial right now for second degree, third degree, and second degree manslaughter. So it's important to note again, and I say it every single time, it, it's, it's not about him being the, the sole causal factor as much as it's about him being um, the significant, a significant causal factor. But I feel like overall today was about sowing the seeds of doubt, right? That's the overall vibe that I got on from it because we saw about six witnesses today. We finished the testimony of Donald Williams, which I told y'all about. And by the end of the day, we were talking about Genevieve Hansen, who I told y'all about in the podcast uh, I did last night. And I told y'all about the motions limiting, trying to, to limit their testimony, so on and so forth, that had been argued out in pretrial motions during uh, um, jury selection. But um, in the middle of that, there were also four witnesses, the judge, um, let the jury know that they were going to be hiding their identity, their identity due to their age, uh, and to be particularly sensitive uh, for them. Uh, but they concealed their identity, but that didn't stop anything from the emotions that were present. Cause you didn't need to see it in order to feel it. Hello. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. How are things out there? You still in New York, huh? Yeah, I'm going to head to uh, Minnesota this weekend. So I'm going to go on Friday. So I'm kind of like juggling. Like, I'm going to have to get back So I respect what people 
the conversation was very important because they dropped nuggets. They dropped nuggets today that are critical. And like I had even a, 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 a sort of sideline conversation about, oh, well, why didn't they let this firecracker EMT come on first? We got to do this in chronological order. We're, we are putting together a story right now. We're laying out, because I told you all that I was really, really upset and concerned that this drug conversation is going to be an issue. You know, where are we going with this? Let's lead with that. Although he said it a little bit in the opening argument, he didn't really lay that out. But but today, with, you know, some of the conversations that we've had with, the, you know, the professional martial arts guy and the EMP laid out this story where now we can see how they're going to proceed into his own personal lifestyle and how that's irrelevant to what happened on that day. And that's so critical because George Floyd is not on trial. Yes. George Floyd is not on trial. Derek Chauvin is on trial. And so that's the thing that has to be shown every single solitary day. Like we got to get him. And I say that because, you know, I had this conversation with you about like, you know, one of the jurors who had this little crazy ass conversation about like, oh, well, what the hell does Blue Lives Matter? And like, about the issues that black people have because black people are having a specific conversation about racism and how the legal policing of being black happens every day so and when i say that i mean when a black person gets stopped there's a set of you know like i have a little black boy you know your nephew right we talk about this like if he were to be in a situation there's a different conversation I have to have with him about how he should respond in that different situation. He can't talk back. He can't, you know, he needs to tell him his name. He needs to tell them who Comply. I am. Put your hands on the steering wheel. Comply. You need to, you need to be a totally different person than maybe these little boys that you're hanging out with can be. And if you're in a situation with them, you can't say anything. Close your mouth. Don't talk back to the cops. Offer them your ID. And so that's a very different reality than this trial and like how this trial is falling and playing out in real time. So today, the fact that we got to see, and I'm not going to jump too far because I'm so excited and I told you I was excited, but the way that this specific black man played out, you know, all of the training that he has in a particular area and understanding what was transpiring in real time versus... Um, being coy and when do I push the button to say this is not okay and I'm going to be a bit more animated with you guys but I'm going to keep my composure but I'm going to let you know that I'm irritated and frustrated and this is not the proper protocol and process for what is going on right now was critical like I was sitting there I think I texted you I was fucking screaming like
I'm gonna tell you like this. For me, it was the, it was, first of all, a lot of people don't recognize that where he was because of the setup of the courtroom, you don't recognize that what you're looking at, every time he asked him a question, is he a bum? He turned to the right and said, I did. I did. did you say it 13 times? He looks to the right, dead as chauvin. I did. <laughs> Directly to him. I, I, the only thing that could have surpassed that, it was the moment where he got to, where he called him, he called him bogus, or he called him a fucking bum or something like that, and he did this. He went, hm, I did. It was the hm, for me. It was the hm, for me. I could not. I was dead. There's nothing funny about it. Nothing funny about it, but that was, that was funny today.
they were able to articulate and, and get out about him that he's trained, that he worked in situations where he's a bouncer, that he worked with police officers, law enforcement, that he understands the intricacies of what was transpiring at the moment as a civilian, and he still did not react in a way that was vital. Although they're trying to paint this picture that black men are violent, that they're emotional, that they're going to respond and not know how to control themselves. It was so beautiful today, the way that the prosecution played out what he did, all while letting him be himself. They didn't, they didn't, they didn't diminish him. They didn't make him, you know, sit there and say, well, no, I didn't say that. That's not what I meant. Like, they allowed him and I miss it and I miss that shit but I didn't if, if I said what I said was a person that was him this afternoon that was him first thing bright and early actually this morning bright and early but to compare compare him to Genevieve Hansen right Genevieve Hansen is a first responder right she is a literally working for MFD Minneapolis Fire Department, and she is actually there. So let's let's listen. This is what I think people need to take away from today. If you listen to nothing else, if you listen to nothing else, I think that the takeaway is you are looking at a situation at this point in time. Look at this. You have George Floyd on the ground, surrounded by four officers, with a martial arts expert, a a firefighter who is work like not on duty, but employed by the fire department currently you have four at least four children the one the four children that testified today you right. but my point is you're surrounded by all of these people and that doesn't even count the 911 dispatcher who's watching from watching live back from the dispatch room who calls her supervisor and says i, I don't care you can call me a snitch or whatever the case may be but that's use of force. So she recognizes. So you have a martial arts expert so who just so happens to be there. Then you have, again, the firefighter, who, Genevieve Hansen, who just so happens to be there. But even when she, back to what I was saying, even when she responds, even she is responding in the same fashion that he is. Right? Right. Right. So, I mean, she, she ended the testimony today. She got fussed at. She got fussed at before they ended today. But they're going to, she's going to finish her testimony tomorrow. That, that needed to happen. That was actually a necessary situation. Like, he had to admonish her, and I'm sure that the prosecution told her prior to her testifying that that was going to be an element of it, because she kept pushing back. Right. She kept saying, which, like I said, I want to fucking marry her ass. Like, I'm trying to fly to her damn EM tonight. Like, yo, yo, what the fuck? Yo! Because she was beautiful at saying every time the defense tried to lay it out like well this is the process do you understand the police process she was like no but I understand my process and I understand how all these processes play together so let me explain it to you first you call and then you call and the first thing that's triggered when you call is and so he could not he was so fucking shook today about how he wanted to take that because he could not lead her in the direction that he wanted to lead her. And she kept saying to him, no, that's not how this goes. No. Look at what she... Remember when uh, he was questioning her, and and I found this to be highly offensive. I'm not going to lie, because he is like the king of false equivalencies, right? 
So he tries to lead her into something and he specifically used the reference, let's say you're on the job and you're trying to put out a fire and a crowd shows up and they're trying to, they're yelling at you and calling you names. Is that going to create some kind of distraction? That right there tells you everything you need to know about where he's going with this. Basically, you're saying that the y'all are the reason. It's deflecting the blame. And here's the point of it. It's not even about how relevant it is. And everybody needs to pay attention to this key, key point or how true it is. He's trying to sow seeds of doubt because that, as a defense attorney, is his job. His job is to crack and to put open that reasonable doubt and just throw it out there. And whatever cracks, whatever sticks to that, sticks in somebody's mind. And for some, and taking it to the people who are on the jury, which we've been following... Some people are on that jury and are trying to take in all of this information and they're seeing it way less distracted than any of us are. They are living this day in, day out. So ultimately it's coming down to some people are there and they want to believe something and some people are dealing with something that they just don't want to deal with. Like they just, some people are getting the confirmation that they needed and then some people are sitting, who? Some people are sitting in that uh, in that space, and I think I think we lost her. Uh, we'll get her back. But some people are in that space. Here she comes. Some people are in that space, and they are dealing with things. Uh, I'm gonna wait till she comes back in. You know, IG don't like when our ass start talking shit. They be like, Boo! yeah, they know. They cut it short. It's all right. Let me pick up where I left off. So I was saying, some people on the jury are sitting there and they they uh, everybody has their own biases coming into this some people are going to be sitting on that jury and they're going to be like this is all confirming everything that i always said everything that i always felt and everything that i I felt coming into this but then some people i I, by by listening to their voir dire i can tell that they are dealing with the cognitive dissonance and somehow they're trying to defend the indefensible and they're going to cling on to little tiny moments so while we love donald williams testimony here's something to think about while we are loving Donald Williams' testimony with the side eye and the hmm and the and the yes I did and all that, while we are loving that, how do you think that those the, the certain members of the jury are sitting there and thinking about it? Do you understand? Right, right. Well, I think what was important. How do about, they take it? Right. Right. What was important about the? I go back to you know every every defense attorney, every prosecution attorney is telling a story. They're weaving together aspects of perspectives and witness accounts about how something happened. So what was so beautiful today is they actually laid it out in chronological order and then they echoed it. And what what I found to be a sort of transition, like I said, I told you I was frustrated, mm-hmm. is he, he said in the beginning, and I forgot his exact phrase, I think he called them something like a superhero group of people, a superhuman, something the prosecutor called them that they keep referring to, um, something about them being, um, he talked about the crowd being pretty heavy and, and being, no, no. He, 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 he said it in the, um, opening arguments, he called this group of human beings like an extraordinary group of like humans, I forgot what the exact phrase was or term that he used. He said something about like these these this group of hum, human beings that you're about to see that I'm gonna bring to you are like an extraordinary group of human beings. And I think what was so beautiful about 
what he's actually able to tell out as a story is they all come from different facets of life. They're young kids. They are martial arts experts. They are EMTs. They are black. They're white. They're all of these other things. But they had this common understanding that what is transparent... No, he didn't call them subhumans. Um, it was... It was beautiful that they all understood that humanity was being violated at this moment i'm gonna look it up because i forgot exactly what he called it but they they've um court tv has con you know used the connotation a couple times he called him something like um uh i don't know i can't remember anyway whatever he called him a superhuman group of, of human beings and basically what he was trying to assert there is that they just recognized that someone was losing their life in that moment and that whatever was happening was too extreme mm-hmm. and that you know there was a moment today when they talked about with the EMT she talked about him having his knee on Floyd's neck and feeling very casual about it and like having a sort of callous disposition or demeanor about just just sitting there and being able to lean on his neck for a long time and put your hands in your pocket and I thought that that was so beautiful because it kept bringing back the fact and it's important bringing back the fact that this was a man this was a human being this it didn't matter if he was a drug addict there was a little part where she talked about never having experienced an addict being overly irate before. Like, if they're OD, they're not irate. Right. They're OD, so they passed out. That's not my regular experience. And I and you could literally feel the defense attorney going, oh, fuck. Oh, fuck, I asked that question. Oh, because fuck. the truth is, look what I posted today. Look what I posted on my page today. Because it doesn't make sense. And you're talking, like, I've seen people OD on drugs before. So when you're talking, this is just a common sense thing. And to sit there and argue, particularly, to sit there and say that somebody who is overdosing is going to be screaming, that's point one that makes absolutely no sense to me because I've never seen that. And I have I have never worked in the medical field, but I've been in those situations where I, I've been around people or I've, I've lost people to drug addiction. So it, it it's very different. They're not calling, hooping, and hollering like that. That's number one. And then number two, in his opening statement, I do remember him specifically sitting there saying that three Minneapolis police officers couldn't subdue George. So you mean to tell me on top of him having some kind of superhuman strength, even if he was temporary, first of all, how much drugs was in his system? Because that must be some serious drugs. What's the name of that movie with Jamie Foxx that just came out? That, 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 new drug movie it's got to be one of those types of things that he must have chewed on in order to to do what they're saying while he's overdosing right but, but how is he doing that while he how is he fighting you he's fighting you and resisting while he's overdosing at the same time like make that logic make sense and she kept making a point to say as an expert he had his hands behind his back he was cuffed with his hands behind his back so he's not an imminent danger to you He's not an imminent threat to you. And so because he's not that, I felt like I'm on the scene. What was so powerful about her is she was saying that I'm an expert on the scene. Project power, that's it. And they did not. And that was extremely critical today because it, it, it 
echoes the it echoes the almost ten minutes that there was no response and you could have in situation one, in situation two, in situation three saved his life and you chose. You consciously chose not to, and you told two other officers to also participate in choosing not to render some safety for him. Look at what Tal says. If you actually, now I've watched the video, because I watched it in its entirety in all the body cams when it all happened, when it all came out, right? So I've watched it several times, but to sit there and go through it today, I've actually closed my eyes, and if you listen to all the background conversations, because... You try to listen to like the loudest one, but if you close your eyes and you really listen to all the background conversations and the things being said, and now I can kind of car- uh, compartmentalize and put a, a, a voice to a and, a and a person to these people behind the, the the cameras. Because what I wanted to talk to you next was actually about the, the the actual bystander footage, which was one of the witnesses who testified today, one of the minors. But before that, I kind of wanted to push. I'm 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 a big stickler. I, I watched the George Zimmerman trial and I, I've expressed this to you before, but I I feel a, a little bit differently than you with the prosecution. I personally, when it came down to both Donald and with, with Genevieve, and I hope that they clear this up and they solidify this with all of these witnesses, if they have any more eyewitnesses coming forward, I think that they, they need to really hone in on this very simple fact. When he got there, anybody who's seen the video, everybody knows. Even when he first was on the ground, forget everything to the that happens up to that point. When he is face down on the ground in handcuffs, I think that the prosecution needs to start when he's on the ground and he's in that position from that moment forward. George is still alive. He's cognizant. He's talking. He's screaming. He's saying, man, you're hurting me. And that's when he starts to really... Within three to four minutes after that, you can slowly start to see it, right? I think from that moment forward, the the prosecution needs to hone in on that moment, Mm -hmm. right? And then what happened when you left? What happened when you got there? Where was, what was the status of George when you got there? What was his status when when he left? And what's the only thing that happened in between? Because in between, he didn't have the drugs. He had supposedly eaten the drugs before. Whenever the guy ran up to him on the car with the gun. So, or or better yet, in the back of the car. Because, matter of fact, did he even really ingest those drugs in the car? If so, there might be some remnants or something like that in his mouth. Because at the end of the day, if you found the drugs in the car, how did he ingest them? That's something to consider. But I think that the prosecution really needs to be a little bit more forceful and, and clearing it when it comes down to these witnesses and saying, what was his status when you got there? What was his status whenever you left? Because all of them, and I think that the the witnesses that were about that I want to talk to you about next, um, the four minors, the one, the first one being the actual uh, the one who filmed the bystander footage, she was actually going there with her little nine year old cousin to go get snacks, and she sent her cousin in, and then she stayed, she came back out because she felt something was wrong. Another person that just felt something was wrong, like the, the martial arts expert, like the certified person, the, the, the firefighter, like the 911 dispatcher. She feels a lot of responsibility from her testimony. And you didn't need to like see her because they wouldn't let them you couldn't see any of these any of these kids. And she's now 18. Well, yeah. Well, they, they're not 18. Yeah. yeah. You couldn't see her, but you didn't need to in order to really feel it because I was choking up and tearing up listening to her testify because she felt like she could have done more and in essence my takeaway is sis 
without you, he may have never gotten any hope at justice. So, well, you know, what she did today, and I don't even know, like, because it was so genuine, um, what, so the older of the two, the older cousin, what she did today that was so beautiful is she was able to articulate emotion after the testimony. So she had a moment where she said, when they let her talk, which would have, if they were smart defense attorneys, they would have objected to that. And I was really astounded that they didn't. But she had a moment where she said, I spent all this time recounting and reflecting over the summer and these past months about what I saw. And I felt as a victim would, which was very genuine and authentic. She said, I, I, I felt like I should have done more. And she was able to throw in that moment and say, but I shouldn't have. The cop should have felt like he should have done more. And that was like some Perry Mason type shit. Mm-hmm. I was like, what the fuck? Like you let her say that? Because you can't listen to a young person and hear their grief and not empathize with that. Like she, she, she was able to mention that she has a dad that's black. She has a brother that's black. We can't see her. Right. We can't see her. And so for her to be smart enough to play out that situation and say, you know what? I have a dad that's black. I have brothers that are black. I have uncles that are black. I have friends that are black. And because I internalized that moment and I can't forget that moment and I felt like I should have done more, no, I shouldn't have done more. The cop should have done, done more. more. And I yeah. was like, yo, y'all can shut this shit down now. Like, shut it down. Shut it down. And then having the little cousin come and echo the fact that, you know, nine-year-old, man. She was nine. She's, man. Not, she's not even preteen. For her to come along and echo everything that her cousin saw everything that she saw, everything that all the adults were feeling and be able to articulate emotionally, this is what I saw, this is what I took in, and this is what happened. And I think that what I saw today that was strange because defense attorneys can use, and maybe it's just this case, but defense attorneys are usually able to go back to their original story. Their original way that, okay, let's say that they're trying to present he's a drug addict. Or let's say that they're trying to present that he was violent. Because they could not respond. Do you remember that he decided to just not even cross-examine her? Mm -hmm. He said, to the little girl, he said, no cross. He doesn't want to be that one. He's not going to be that one. Because let me tell you, when, when she testifies, he had to, they asked him, is the person, is the police officer who did this present and she said no in all of her innocence not knowing what's going on she says no Derek Chauvin then has to stand up take off his mask in order for her to recognize him this little girl is never going to forget this she's never going to forget any of this and in her her purity and innocence they asked her specifically when when did he get off she said well when the and talking about the paramedics the paramedics showed up did Mr. Chauvin move no no even when they the paramedics got the gurney out and whatever she said that they had to the paramedics had to pull him off she that was those were her words they had to pull him off they pulled him off George Floyd so 
her, all of this, these kids, when I thought about it today and you look at the video, because like I said, like I've seen it so many times now. It's so, as a historian, you think of those old pictures of old lynchings, right? And where it's just, you could tell that it's not, it's not drama. It's just real life gut-wrenching, gut-wrenching history that you really don't want to see, but you need to because it's a part of your responsibility as a human to recognize that this is a part of who we are, right? So when I saw that... Uh, and and I, I, when I saw the video this morning, I don't know when it, when she was crying. When she saw the picture, she broke. This is the the first young lady. She saw the pic when they put the picture up, she broke. And that's when I started choking up. And I'm like, when I saw the picture, I saw kind of I saw what she saw in the glimpse of this is the 21st century lynching because the way that he looked, and that's just on video. I can't imagine what that was like in real life and living color. Right. It's it, right. it was just entirely too 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 much. Producing Mark for twenty for twenty. What are your big takeaways from today, especially with your legal background? Um, well, well my, my takeaways were the the kids won the day. That was um, you know the, the kids' testimony was just so powerful. It was pure. It was sincere. But uh, my second takeaway is that the defense made so many mistakes today that opened the door for. Um, testimony, like as you guys were speaking, <coughs> as Sierra was alluding to, um, the first 17 year old that turned 18 now, mm-hmm. she she wasn't able to give that testimony in direct about what the impact of the George Floyd murder uh, had on her life. The defense attorney, at the end of his cross examination of her, asked her about her viral video and how yeah. it and said it changed your life, didn't it? That was his last question. Right. So the prosecution was able to get up. He, he rehabilitated her te- her cross-examination testimony. But his last question was, instead of how the how the viral video changed your life, how did the George Floyd murder change your life? And she, yes. she was able to come That's in with all this funny. emotional, dramatic That's testimony. It, is, it was the biggest mistake of any attorney I've ever seen in my life, but we'll take it. Because yeah. she was able to bring in the emotional part of the racial yeah. impact of the George Floyd murder that they Absolutely. weren't that they were avoiding talking about in yeah. one year and also in opening. They were gonna keep it a straight murder case, but she said, My father's black, my friends are black, and I am black. Precisely. And, 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 and then and then she ended, she started, she was crying, and she said, I apologize to George Floyd every, every night. night. Yeah, because I wish I would have done more for him. But that's what he was supposed to do. Yep. That was that the case is over. Yeah. Ju- no juror, I don't care who you are on that jury, you're never gonna forget that testimony. Yeah. And, never. Then when, and then when her nine-year-old cousin got on and said that the the, the the ambulance people had to push Chauvin off oh, of him. Yep. And he and we know that he was already dead. Yeah. They had to push him off of him. Um so that was the impact of, you know, after Williams was on the MMA guy, the MMA guy gave you a real person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, then, he then was the, real, all right. <laughs> then the, 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 the kids gave you sincere purity that that is affected for the rest of their lives. Now, they're going to need help. They're, they're going to need tra- trauma counseling for that. And then another issue was that I'm not sure what the defense is getting at picking a fight with the EMT person 
EMP people, their whole job is to save people's lives no matter who they are. Yeah, yeah. So picking a fight with her, I'm not sure what kind of points you're getting from that, but she's winning the day. Now she did get she did get a little flustered where the judge had to chastise her. He checked her all right. He dismissed the jury yeah, and checked her as soon as everybody left. So but let me ask you this. Don't you think it was worth it? But what she was able to get out, because people have to understand that this is a chess play and not everything is open conversation. For what, for what, from a prosecution standpoint, for what she was able to interject in terms of testimony, because the, the, the jurors are not going to forget that. You don't ever want the judge telling you, like, chastising you, you like that, no matter what. No, that's a no I feel like that was a risk worth taking. She well, was I'll say this. Because what happened was, and there's people that don't know what happened. So what happened was she was testifying. She was asked a question by defense. There was kind of like an awkward pause. And then she kept on talking over and she started talking again. She over talked the defense counsel, I believe. And then, or, or the judge, or I, I couldn't tell because I couldn't see who it was that was talking. But then he, he tried to check her and she, she kind of gave him a side eye and looked over her shoulder and was like, I was just finishing my answer. He dismisses right. the jury. It tells her not to argue with the defense counsel or any of the attorneys yes, and the damn question. sure not to argue with the court. And she did it again. Yeah, right. yeah you can't. She so did it what, again. What the, what the impact of today's testimony means, it was so powerful that uh, Chauvin's going to have to testify. He, he, yes. to, They're forced to stand. Because it was probably the most powerful murder trial and then, albeit a murder trial involving a police officer defended testimony that has ever been seen. I mean, the, 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 I mean those, you can those little, the, not to, but I felt the same thing. I wondered if you thought that because I felt the same thing. He now, has to speak on his own behalf now. He has no choice. Now we're still gonna we're still gonna get to see their their medical expert somehow in some way try to testify about causation. And say that George Floyd basically was going to die at that on that day and at that time anyway. Right. Um, and we're also going to get use of force experts. I think there. I think that uh, it's going to be hard for a use of force expert to be able to defend the actions of David Chauvin, um, even in that. Um, so we, we, we're going to see David Chauvin get up on stand and cry and say, "I didn't mean to kill him." Um, but the interesting, the thing about that is he's not. That's not. That's not the charge. I yeah I think that what what the defense is and what the and the only reason why I say this is just going off of the testimony that I've seen thus far in their line of questioning and the opening statements. I think that it's to shift the blame towards the crowd and to say that Derek Chauvin, like I said earlier, wasn't just in tunnel vision and the crowd actually just made it worse. And look how he told it and he compared Genevieve Hansen fire fi, fighting fires to fighting fires to what he did. Right and try to shift it to what her. What I, I think they kept planning was that he was he had his hands in his pocket. Mm-hmm. They kept reinserting that if someone is uncomfortable and someone feels threatened and if someone feels their life is in danger, they're not going to be calm enough to then put their hands in their pocket and have composure. So I think that there's going to. I hear what Mark is saying and I hear what you're saying and I agree with I both, am. but I. But I think that what Mark is saying is important because you're going to now have to show that he's going to have to somehow be able to articulate to that jury that he was in fear, although he had his hands in his pocket. His stance was comfortable because she said he didn't look 
threatened, he put his hands in his pocket. So y'all think he's going to testify? Y'all think he's going to testify? I think it's he's not going to have choice. I don't, I think he's, he'd rather give his left hand up before he testifies. I don't think he's going to, but I think it's getting pushed. I think it's getting pushed. Remember the, the points the prosecution scored on that today was the cars driving by. Mm-hmm. He wasn't scared of the cars driving by. And also, he wasn't nervous and, about and, the surroundings. And as, as each of the witnesses were testifying, they had the surveillance video up on the stand, and they had the witnesses, even the little kids, pointing out where they were. So the jury seeing the, the hostile crowd, the unruly crowd, and Every going back to chronological order, they, remember the, 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 the person not, was watching a mob. They're not seeing a mob. And so what they're getting is like, all these people are coming up and saying is, they, what are you doing? It wasn't the chicken that came before the egg. These people were responding to the force that was being right. used against George. Exactly. George, and, they, and they wish they could have done more, but they didn't because they were police officers. So right. that, that argument is going to fail just on today because of that video that was up and like you look at that crowd it was so diverse and, I, and one thing I did not that's know that's what I meant that's yeah what I, that's it really was I diverse I have a it screenshot was, it was black it was white it was and, and, yeah. I'm not sure yes. did, you, did you know there were so many children that witnessed I think that's going to affect the jury very big Absolutely. I did. I knew Absolutely. that there was. I knew about the nine-year-old, and I knew because I researched who had who who was the one the bystander footage that we all saw. That was Danella. That was the first witness. The the seven. I didn't know her age. Yeah, she turned eighteen, and she was there with her with her uh, her uh, nine-year-old cousin. So I I I didn't know. Now the other the other ones that are young are actually the same age as Danella because they went to high school with Danella. So right. they're all around the same age, but they're all yeah. they're all minors. Some in high school, some have graduated high school and whatnot. Um, right. But nonetheless, I do have to cut it, guys, uh, and I have to do a quick little uh, recap and everything in order to give everybody uh, shout outs for tomorrow. So I appreciate everything, and I appreciate y'all jumping on tonight. Love y'all. Talk to y'all later. Teacher life. So that was a surprise. I wasn't expecting Mark to to pop in, but I'm glad that he did with all of the the legal advice. So the summary is there was a lot of impactful uh, testimony today. Uh, As I said, we covered Donald Williams, uh, uh, trained martial artist. We also covered um, Genevieve Hansen, who I had mentioned last night. She came there very much at the end, but the the meat of it was was very much, uh, sadly, the minors that, that had testified. Uh, it was very much emotional. Uh, it it wrenched the heart to, to really look at it and, and and to watch it through their eyes and to know the impact uh, that it's having on them and that it will continue to have on them. But with that being said, it was super great to, to talk with Sierra and catch up with her as well as Mark. And I really appreciate you guys for tuning in. Be sure to catch us tomorrow. Um, I know this was a little bit of a, a different, a little bit of a shakeup uh, from the, the normal update, but I thought that uh, given this day that we should, it was appropriate. You know what I mean? <laughs> all right, guys, I appreciate uh, all the love and support. Be sure to follow here uh, on Spotify, Google Podcasts, or Apple Podcasts, or you can follow me at uh, Nola Rubia Garcia on Instagram or Twitter. 
or follow me on Facebook at Rubia Garcia or Rubia Garcia too. And thank you to everyone who visits RubiaGarcia.com and supports by purchasing merch or becomes a monthly subscriber here on Anchor FM. Thank y'all. Have a great one. Teach your life. Mwah. Ha <laughs> ha